This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Anioa Madariaga, who is at the Department of Medical Oncology at the Princess Margaret Hospital Cancer Center in Canada. Welcome, Anioa. Thank you, Pedro. So this is a, this is a, a really uh, great uh, manuscript, and I think that this will certainly serve many. Um, you have written um, on our lead article that is called Manage Wisely, the PARP Inhibitor Treatment and the Adverse uh, Events. And what I wanted to do is to start by basically saying if you could provide us with an overview of how uh, PARP inhibitors have impacted the management of uh, frontline and high-grade uh, serous ovarian carcinoma and what have been some of the, the key studies and, and what have been their, their results. So definitely PARP inhibitors have transformed the treatment landscape of some women with high-grade ovarian cancer. There are some long-term responders that are able to be on treatment with manageable toxicity for years. Regarding high-grade ovarian cancer, the initial phase three randomized studies were done in platinum-sensitive recurrence, assessing a maintenance strategy following response to platinum-based chemo. These studies include Olaparib as part of the SOLO2 study in BRCA mutation carriers, and then uh, Rucaparib as part of the RL3 trial and Iraparib in the NOVA study in the intention to treat population, which means that not only BRCA mutation carriers were included. Given the interest, these were also moved to the frontline setting as well, and several studies have been approved by the FDA in monotherapy, uh, we have solo one study which assessed olaparib maintenance in BRCA mutation carriers, and the PRIMA study assessing niraparib in the intention to treat population. Also, uh, very recently, the FDA has also approved the combination of bevacizumab and olaparib as maintenance treatment, as part, which was assessed in the Paola study. And to summarize the results, uh, globally, all these studies have shown an improvement in progression-free survival or disease-free survival, but so far uh, there have been no significant changes in the primary quality of life measures, and overall survival data remains immature to date. And um, one of the things that I was interested in, obviously, is uh, one of the most frequently asked questions by the patients after we discuss the 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 oncologic outcomes, obviously, patients want to know how effective these drugs are, is obviously the topic of, of side effects. And um, if, I was wondering if you could tell us why do you think uh, this review in our journal is important and, and who might benefit the most from, from reading this manuscript? So um, given that PARP inhibitors are oral drugs and not IV treatment, they are sometimes perceived to be well-tolerated and easy to manage by clinicians and patients. However, experienced management of toxicity is needed, particularly in the context of chronic use. So, and this is key to improve patient safety, drug tolerability, and to maintain a good dose intensity. So in terms of who would benefit from reading the review, I think that any clinician managing PARP inhibitor therapy, either for gynae or other malignancies, could benefit from reading it. 
We have highlighted the management of some of the rare side effects of PARP inhibitors, which may not be that obvious in normal clinical practice. And we also give some tips that may help clinicians to make a choice between different PARP inhibitors now that options are getting more and more wide. And um, I think that additionally, uh, it's very important to highlight anticipated outcomes and explain, explain the patients thoroughly what to expect from the drugs. So certain patients that are looking for more in-depth information may benefit from reading the article. It can be an additional resource for some of them. I know. Uh, what, are, what would you consider like are the most common side effects that should be discussed with, with uh, patients? Obviously, there, there, there are many, but what, what is uh, the, the most common one? Yes, so I think that the most common side effects that should always be discussed, regardless of the PARP inhibitor, are uh, fatigue, hematologic toxicity, and nausea and vomiting. And it's also good to let patients know that the change, the taste of the food might also change when they are on treatment. And uh, we should also discuss other agent-specific toxicities, like uh, increasing transaminases in the case of vocabularies. Uh, additionally, I think that discussing upfront the very rare risk of AML or MDS should be considered, given that this is a uh, potential very serious adverse event. Yeah, and um, and you know one of the things that I also was wondering because obviously now we're frequently using not only in the maintenance setting, frontline setting, return setting, are, are the side effects more commonly noted with PARP inhibitors when they're used in the frontline setting or in the maintenance setting. Um, what are your thoughts with regards to that? So this is a great question, and hopefully some more data regarding this will come in the future. If we look at the percentages of adverse events with Olaparib and Niraparib in the frontline maintenance or platinum-sensitive maintenance as part of the phase three trials, the numbers of uh, the different adverse events, including hematological toxicity, seem to be relatively similar, but there is not much information of the rare toxicities. And I also think that patient-reported outcomes will be very a very important tool to distinguish the difference in tolerability in the different settings. So definitely, we need to continue using these measures in the upcoming trials in order to answer these kind of questions. And and um, and as a follow-up to that, um, you know, certainly we uh, began using them as a single agent, but progressively there's more evidence that potentially, in combination with other agents, um, I there may be a certainly efficacy. So, for for the PARP inhibitors, a combination with other agents does that make the side effects profile worse? I think that they may, but this will depend on the combination of the drug that is used and also on the dosing mm -hmm. and whether the combination of drugs have overlapping toxicity. So, for example, PARP inhibitors have been combined with antiangiogenics in several studies. The Paola 1 study that I mentioned in the beginning assessed frontline olaparib and bevacizumab versus bevacizumab alone. And the incidence of serious adverse events was relatively similar in both groups. But in the case of TKIs, like for example, several studies have assessed the combination of PARP inhibitors with sedirunib. And um, in one of the first phase two studies, uh, the, the grade three adverse events of the combination was around 70%. So 
caution is required. And um, regarding other combos, uh, definitely chemo and agents targeting the cell cycle will have overlapping toxicity with ARP inhibitor because of the mechanism of action that is that may be similar. Mm -hmm. And the dose will need to be adjusted in those cases. So, for example, a couple of studies have been done uh, where ARP inhibitors were given at the same time as chemo. Mm -hmm. The Belly study assessing frontline beliparib and study 41 with olaparib. And in both cases, the dose of the of the PARP inhibitor was was uh, lower when it was given at the same time as the chemo. Yeah. Anyway, w one of the other things also, and you mentioned uh, the words dose reduction, and obviously patients always uh, don't like hearing that uh, because they feel uh, that obviously their concern is that the drug is going to be uh, less effective. Um, and, and obviously we do need to do that sometimes when encountering toxicity of these drugs. Um, is this something that you see routinely being done with PARP inhibitors where you're routinely having to dose reduce because of these uh, side effects? And, and do, do we have any data that dose reductions are usually associated with less efficacy? Yes. So in general, patients require counseling for them to know the importance of the therapy so that it's not discontinued too, too quickly. And it's important to maintain, maintain like a certain degree of dose intensity similar to the validated doses or schedules. And patients may require, especially in the beginning of the treatment, some short treatment vacation in order to maintain this dose intensity. But uh, what is important is also to maintain the treatment chronicity. And if a dose reduction is needed because of a certain AE, this should be done and patients can still benefit from the treatment. So uh, I think that patient education is again very important to help manage the toxicity and to maintain the adequate intensity. And if patients know what to expect, that can help prevent dropping the treatment too early and not decreasing too much the doses. Right. And in, ter in terms of efficacy, I think that that was the other question. Mm -hmm. So a potential dose-response relationship has been described with Olaparib, but if we look at the PRIMA trial, assessing Mirapariv online, mm -hmm. uh, there were two different dose schedules that were assessed, and patients with, um, with lower weight or platelets had a lower dose of, of Mirapariv, and still the, the, the efficacy was similar. Yeah, they still gained the benefit. Um, yeah, and and now specifically talking about the individual side effects, and you you do a wonderful review of these. Um, starting with um, fatigue, obviously it seems to be one of the most common side effects. Um, what do you think the PARP inhibitors um, are associated with so much uh, fatigue, or or you know why is fatigue so so frequently in these patients? And and I'm particularly interested in in your, you know, based on your perspective of, of all of these uh, um, uh, medications, uh, which PARP inhibitor seems to be the, the most impacting when it pertains to fatigue? So uh, fatigue is the most common class effect side effect of PARP inhibitors. When we said that, that a certain toxicity is class effect, that means that all the drugs in that family, in this case PARP inhibitors, are associated with that toxicity. So in the case of fatigue, this has been reported in 50 to 70% of patients, and it's mainly low grade, like grade one or two. And um, a meta-analysis has been done examining the differences of toxicity between olaparib, niraparib, and rucaparib, 
and they did not find significant differences in terms of any great uh, fatigue. Mm -hmm. In terms um, in terms of tips for management of the fatigue, I think that we should ask patients to have a certain degree of physical activity for fatigue management in general. Um, and also, we need to ask patients how they eat and how they sleep, because we know that PARP inhibitors can be associated with higher risk of insomnia. Mm -hmm. So optimizing treatment of sleep dysfunction and nutritional deficits may also be helpful for, for fatigue management. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as a follow-up to that, do you specifically or generally recommend for the, for the medication to be taken at any particular time during the day? Um, so... Uh, they all, for example, some of the drugs are taken twice daily, so they just take it in the morning and at night. And in Rapari, we usually take it in the morning. Okay. So I, not we don't recommend any specific thing regarding the timing. Yeah. And then now, what about with regards to hematologic toxicity? Where where is the problem here? So the white blood cells, is it the hemoglobin, uh, platelets, and and what can we do about it? And is there any one particular PARP inhibitor that um, has the worst side effects in terms of hematologic toxicity? Yes, yeah, so we believe that hematological toxicity is linked to the mechanism of action of the drug, cropping PARP1, and the affinity of PARP1 is, for example, higher in the case of niraparib in comparison to beliparib or olaparib. Um, so niraparib has a higher risk of hematological toxicity, as, uh, as it was shown in the meta-analysis that I just mentioned. And, and that's why there is currently a recommendation to dose adjust the niraparib according to the platelet level and weight. And this was implemented in the, in the frontline trial, and, it's, and I think that it's quite helpful to, to manage the, the, the hematological toxicity for this drug. And do you find that uh, usually the, the platelets are an issue with most of the uh, PARP inhibitors? And, and what can we do about uh, this issue of uh, thrombocytopenia? Yeah, so um, especially in the case of niraparib and thalassoparib, uh, thrombocytopenia may be an issue. And, and generally, we don't recommend transfusions unless the, it's, there is a very severe thrombocytopenia. Mm -hmm. uh, we generally follow the American Society of Clinical Oncology guidelines in terms of on when to recommend a transfusion. And um, prophylactic platelet transfusion is recommended in patients that have less than 10, uh, 10 cells per liter of platelets or higher if they have active bleeding or they need a procedure. Mm -hmm. And additionally, I think that it's quite important because in uh, some patients with gynecological cancers, maybe not so much ovarian cancer, but other gynecological cancers, they may have necrotic tumor sites that mm -hmm. can bleed. Mm -hmm. So sometimes uh, we should have, we, we may consider having a, a, a higher threshold, perhaps 20 cells per liter uh, when recommending a transition. Yeah. And right, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, GI toxicity. Um, nausea vomiting, is this something that you see? Uh, how frequently is this uh, reported by patients who are on PARP inhibitors? Yes, so nausea vomiting are another quite common class effect uh, toxicity, and it can occur in 20 to 40% of patients. Mm. This is generally an early event on treatment, and it works during the initial cycles of treatment and then uh, gets better over time. 
So usually you tell patients anticipate this in the beginning and then after that yeah. it should definitely improve. And then it, it should get better. That's yeah. it, yeah. And what, what are some of the drugs that you might recommend to your patients uh, when they do report this persistent nausea and vomiting? We, uh, first of all, we advise all patients to eat a small meals about 30 to 60 minutes before taking the treatment. Mm -hmm. And also some patients find it helpful to eat the small snacks at the time of taking the pills. Okay. Regarding drugs, we, we always pro pro uh, provide a prescription of metoclopramide or procloporazine to be taken 30 minutes before the treatment in the initial cycles. And then if they don't need it, they don't need to use it anymore. But we always pros uh, provide a prescription initially. And um, some, like PARP inhibitors in general, they can be considered moderately emetogenic because the risk of vomiting is more than 30%. Uh, but despite that, we avoid uh, serotonin receptor antagonists like ondansetron because this is a daily oral medication and the risk of constipation and bowel obstruction that patients with ovarian cancer may have needs to be taken into account when we recommend anti-nausea drugs. And uh, one of the other things that I think uh, may come up is uh, dyspepsia or, or pain or discomfort in the upper abdomen. Um, how frequent is this? And, and, and what do you usually tell patients to do when you have a patient reporting this? This also occurs in 10 to 20% of patients on PARP inhibitors. And we usually recommend them to have a small meals and, and assess potential dietary triggers, such as uh, fatty food, spices, or alcohol. And uh, some patients also find that sitting up right after taking the medication helps. So, um, and in cases where dyspepsia remains uncontrolled, uh, we do prescribe proton pump inhibitor therapies such as pantoprazole. And, and uh, as a follow-up to an additional GI complaint that, uh, you know, the other day a patient asked, uh, am I going to get any diarrhea or constipation from taking these medications? And... I wasn't really sure how to answer that. Do, do we have uh, any um, evidence that the PARP inhibitors may cause uh, constipation or diarrhea? Yes, so uh, both diarrhea and constipation were reported in about a third of patients treated with PARP inhibitor maintenance, but mm -hmm. it's generally low grade, grade one or two, and we're usually able to manage it with medication and diet. But if we look at the trials, also the patients on the placebo arm had relatively high uh, numbers of fatigue and oh, sorry of fatigue of constipation or diarrhea, uh -huh. so this can also be related to the underlying disease. Right. Mm. So not specifically from the PARP itself. Uh, like probably also from the PARP, but uh, like maybe 10, 15 percent of the patients have it from underlying disease, and another 10, 15 like have yeah. it from the PARP yeah. inhibitor, but. It's not usually a big, a big problem. Yeah. And uh, what about now um, liver function and abnormalities in, in liver function? Are we to expect uh, any abnormalities in liver function? And is there anything that we need to do about them? Yes. So um, temporary transaminase elevation is a, a, a toxicity that is quite commonly seen with recuperative in the initial cycles of treatment. And it occurs in approximately 30 to 40% of the cases. Um, but this is generally self-limiting. It's not associated with other signs of liver toxicity. And in most of the cases, we're able to maintain uh, the dose intensity. So um, but sometimes if 
LFT elevation doesn't result, we need to do other investigations, such as ruling out disease progression. Right. And uh, I know, I understand also that there may be some respiratory disorders associated with taking PARP inhibitors? Yes. Um, from the, some patients may develop pneumonitis related to the treatment, and this has been described in less than 1% of the patients. But given that this is a potentially serious toxicity, I think that the clinicians using PARP inhibitors should have a high suspicion if patients develop any symptoms and other order the investigation, such as CT scan, if this happens. I see. Um, another one that I think rare, but uh, but something that we need to also discuss is uh, neurologic disorders. How how yeah. serious are these, and how frequent? So this is very interesting. So uh, some preclinical studies have shown that PARP1 is involved in the regulation of the circadian gene transcription, mm -hmm. and about 10 to 25 percent of patients who that are treated with PARP inhibitors have some headaches or insomnia during the treatment. So um, also some studies have shown that uh, they may pr that PARP inhibitors may help prevent neuropathy, but this has not been proven, uh, uh, demonstrated in clinical practice so far. Mm. And for example, the PRIMA trial assessing neuropathy did incorporate a neuropathy questionnaire during the initial cycles of treatment, and it seems that the numbers were quite similar in neuropathy or placebo. But it's, it's used like the drugs are being tested in neurological disorders to to try to prevent neuropathy, so we'll see. Yeah, interesting. Um, in uh, cardiovascular disorders, I understand that uh, particularly niraparib uh, can lead to some potential cardiovascular disorders. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, um, niraparib has an off-target pharmacologic inhibition of dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin transporters. So in general, we should watch for potential hypertension or palpitations. Mm -hmm. And in the NOVA trial, for example, 19% of the patients on Europe have hypertension and 10% had palpitations. Mm -hmm. uh, but high, high blood pressure has also been described with other parts. So I think that it's just something that we should have in mind in general. Okay. Yeah, and, and generally I understand easily controlled with uh, antihypertensive yeah, yeah. medication. Yeah, easily controlled with medication, yeah. Right. So one of the things also I wanted to ask you, and uh, and frankly, I got to tell you, I didn't know that PARP inhibitors could be associated with this, so I learned this from your uh, article. Uh, some really rare adverse events like myelodysplastic syndromes and acute myeloid leukemia. Um, how frequent is this, and, uh, and what can you tell us about it? Yes, so this can occur in approximately 1% of patients on PARP inhibitors. And in general, if there is an unexplained or prolonged pancytopenia, a referral to hematology should be sent and a bone marrow aspiration done. And if MBS or AML is diagnosed, the treatment with PARP inhibitor needs to be permanently discontinued. I think that in general, all the physicians, we should have uh, this in mind and Patients that have been on PARP inhibitors for years, uh, even though if they have, even if they have a manageable toxicity, we should continue doing blood work very regularly just to make sure that this doesn't happen. And is this part of your discussion with the patients when you're consenting the patients about the drugs? 
the we generally do discuss this, yeah. Yeah, the myelodysplastic syndromes and the uh, yeah. AMI. Yeah, the, the very rare, rare risk of this. Uh, we also think that this there's not enough data yet, but mm -hmm. this may, may also be related with more cycles of platinum-based chemo. Mm. So there are other risk factors, but uh, we definitely discuss this. Well, um, this has been obviously a, a very uh, informative uh, conversation. And, and again, I mean, congratulations on the manuscript that is uh, being published as the lead article in the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. I know, do you have any uh, uh, summary statements you would like to make? So, in summary, um, I think that a thorough knowledge of the potential common and uncommon PARP inhibitor-related adverse events and their management is very important to improve patient safety. And I think that this can also improve the treatment efficacy. So um, I think that most of the clinicians, when we are going to start a PARP inhibitor, we should ha a, 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 a have give education to our patients towards what to expect with the treatment. And I think that differences between PARP inhibitor safety profiles should also be discussed upfront with the patient. Thank you so, so much for your time. Congratulations on this publication and uh, congratulations on all your good work. Thank you, Pedro. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.